0: of Acts chapter, uh, we're in chapter 19 today, we're in the book of Acts, and what we want to do today is I want to read to you the first 22 verses in Acts, and it's very interesting what happens here, and there's a lot to unpack, so I thought, let's read it together. So if you have your Bibles, it's not going to be on the screen, open up to Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 22, and let me read this to you this morning. While Paulus was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied. We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Then Paul went into the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejected his message, and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him, Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyranus. This went on for two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of God. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs and aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Several sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? The evil man, or the man with the evil spirit, leapt at them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence they fled from the house, naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn, a solemn fear descended onto the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, and publicly burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achai before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia, well, I stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. This is God's word. You see, we're told from an early age that all there is is a physical world. Oftentimes, scientists say all that matters is matter. Kind of a dorky joke, but <clears throat> excuse me. All that matters is matter. In other words, really all that you can see, all that you can taste, all that you can sense, everything in front of you is all that exists. It's just the physical world. We put that in the category of what science is, naturalism, which means all that is here is in this physical world, and then everything else, well, it doesn't make sense, or it doesn't exist, it's not true. So if you can't explain it, You can't verify it. If you can't measure it, if you can't test it, then it doesn't exist. And therefore, it's not reality. And when you adhere to naturalism or there's just a physical world, that means you are excluding the possibility of a supernatural or a spiritual world or miraculous signs or that could be a God in the midst of us. Now we come to Acts 19 in Acts 19, we read crazy things that are happening. People are giving their lives over to Jesus. Paul, he's taking aprons and handkerchiefs and putting them on people and they're healed. We read about this evil spirit in a man that can't be cast out and he brutally goes and attacks people and they run out naked. And then we read about God's word spreading into a region and those people who are practicing sorcery or witchcraft, they give it up. And then they burn it in a fire. And so you have the physical or the natural world possibly colliding with the supernatural world. And those stories in Acts 19, that's a microcosm of what's happening in Scripture. For Scripture says not only is there material, the material world we're in, there's an immaterial God who inhabits the world. That not only inhabits the world, he's broken into the physical world. And with that comes the possibility of the supernatural, the possibility of miracles. So what is it? Is it just naturalism that just says all that matters is matter, all that we can see exists, or could there be also the supernatural? Is it possible for the physical and the spiritual to come together? Is it possible for the things that we can explain and the things we can't explain to be cohesive? Is it possible that science and a savior can be together? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, my job is not to convince you of that. That's what God does. That's between you and God. All I'm going to do today is look through Acts 19 with you and to show you the possibility of the supernatural. And not only that, here is my thesis for today, and you can test it out and you can see if it's true. Not only do I believe in the physical, I also believe in the supernatural, and I think it's the most logical thing to believe in if you truly believe in truth. If you really want to know what truth is, I believe it has to be the physical and the spiritual coming together cohesively. And here's how we know why. Chapter 19, we just read it. Let's look again at verses 1 through 2. It says, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them? No, they replied. We have never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're reading scripture and you see a term believers, you probably automatically think these people follow Jesus. These people believe in the Lord and they're turning their lives over to him and they're giving their lives to Christ. But that's not the case here. One commentary says, we're going to call them not believers. Let's call them almost believers. And the reason we know they don't believe in Jesus quite yet is because they literally say, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit in Christian theology is made up of three gods, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if they hadn't heard of the Spirit and the Spirit hasn't touched their life, then they can't truly be followers of Jesus. Because Jesus says, look, when I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to inhabit you. He's going to lead your life. And these believers are like, who is the Holy Spirit? How we know they're not believers is what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So here's Paul's interaction with these almost believers. And so Paul gives them the next step to make sure they're truly following Jesus. Here's what he says in verses 3 and beyond. Then what baptism did you experience, Paul asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Well, Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there was about 12 men in all. These guys, they were familiar with the Messiah. They knew he was coming. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew what John the Baptist was telling them, but they hadn't really met Jesus yet. And Paul says, look, this Jesus that was promised to you, he's not coming. He's here now. And you can discover this Jesus. And so these believers now go from almost believers to true believers. How do we know that? Well, they gave up their lives to Christ. It says that they turned away from sin. An easy way to define sin is to be one's own saviour to see life only through your own lens, to be your own God, to live selfishly and pridefully, to act like you are the only one that matters in this whole world and then everybody comes after you. And these believers said, no, nah, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to trust in the one who gave his life for me. I want to trust in the one who three days later defeated the grave. So these believers put their faith in Jesus. Jesus. And not only do they put their faith in Jesus, it does it say they received the Holy Spirit. Which means this God who was promised to those who believed, he came to them and now indwells their lives. Now he leads their lives and guides their lives, allows them to see what he sees. They're true believers now. These believers who didn't know about Jesus before, now they're following him. They see for the very first time and I'm grateful for that truth because it tells us what happens when we finally receive the spirit we can see what god sees we're truly his follower we can know the truth we can see beyond ourselves and this is key when it comes to the miraculous now before i get there i want to hit pause there is something that happened did you notice after they received the holy spirit what do these believers do they spoke in tongues Now, if you're familiar with the church or the Bible, you know that tongues are in the Bible. And so I just want to talk about it just for a moment. Kind of give you what we believe at the chapel about tongues. So the Greek word tongue means language or a different kind of language. So in the Bible, when you see people speaking in tongues, they're speaking a special language between God and other believers who have that same gift are able to understand. Now, in this instance, and in other instances in Acts, and in other instances in the New Testament, we do see people given that gift of tongues, and they're able to speak that language. But it becomes confusing. Because then, let's say that you said, yes, I I followed Jesus, and I gave my life to him, and I was baptized, and I I know I'm and dwell with the Holy Spirit, I believe, and yet you've never spoken in tongues like I have never spoken in tongues. What does that mean? What do we do with that? Well, first of all, tongues is a gift. And when you read the New Testament, Jesus gives certain gifts to certain people. So some of you have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts that you don't have. So if you do have the gift of tongues, God has given you that for a purpose. That purpose is not for yourself. That purpose is to build up the church. Is that what the gifts are for? To help edify the body of Christ. If you don't have the gift of tongues like I don't, you're not an inferior believer If you have the gift of tongues, you're not a superior believer. In fact, we have to obey what Scripture says. What is repeated over and over and over and over in the Gospels and in Acts and in other parts of the New Testament when it comes to putting our faith in Jesus? Two things. Put your confidence, your hope, your faith in Jesus and be baptized. Those are the two solid things that Scripture tells us to do. Everything else is either a gift or something that the Spirit may give you, but that's kind of what tongues is. But the whole impact of following Jesus is being all in with Jesus. And Jesus says to be all in with me is to put your whole faith in me, your whole confidence, not half of you, not a part of you, not a little of you, not when you feel like it and when you're not, but I'm all in. My whole faith, my whole confidence, my whole worth, my whole value is placed upon Christ. And when you do that, the Bible says that, this Holy Spirit comes in you and He indwells you and He gives you a new life. And with new life comes new possibilities. Do you know what some promises are for those of us who have said yes to Jesus and has this new life in here? We have the opportunity for the first time to be loved and to love unconditionally. That's the greatest thing that you and I can both receive and give. Through the cross, we realize we are forgiven and we're accepted by him. And there's nothing conditional about God's love. It's not do this and therefore you get this. It's I love you because you're my son or you're my daughter. And then we get to give that love to other people. All of us probably look in relationships, whether with our spouse or friends or coworkers, as transactional. What is it? You give me, I give you. But when we follow Jesus, I'm going to give you whether you give me. We get to love unconditionally. We we get purpose that doesn't end. That's not based on how good-looking we are. I mean, we all can't look like Pastor Jay. Everyone else is just a little different than Jay. He has the gift. Not all of us have that, right? It's not based on how good-looking you are. It's not based on how much money you have. It's not based upon if the Buckeyes beat Notre Dame, which they did last night. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on living for something that's not yourself. People that have to live for themselves are so miserable because you can never fill that unquenchable desire in your heart to truly find purpose for you. But if you live for God's purposes and you live for other people, oh, there's nothing better. We get to rest we need to have peace. I think next to being loved unconditionally by God, to have the peace of God in an unrestful culture or an unrestful person like I am unrestful in my heart sometimes. I can just rest in the promises of Christ. I can have peace when everything else is rocky around me. I mean, The new things that come from the indwelling of the Spirit. But the other thing that happens is that you get to see life not through your lens anymore. Not just that matter is all that matters and it's just the physical. Now it unlocks possibilities beyond the physical to see the spiritual To see what God sees if his spirit is in you and indwelling in you and you're living through his power. You're able to see what he says. You can see beyond what the physical is. If we don't have that, you can't see beyond matter. You can't see beyond the physical. You can't see beyond naturalism. But if you have the spirit living in you, you can. And the possibilities of the miraculous are just right at your fingertips. Of course, they're designed by God and given by God and done in God's will, but besides that, it's possible to see what we can't see and do what we can't do and to feel what we can't feel and understand what maybe we could never understand before. Is it an accident in Acts 19? These people come to know faith, and then all of a sudden, Luke, the writer of Acts, gives all of these descriptions of miracles and the supernatural? No. Because when you have it, Now you can see it. So for instance, we see in verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs and aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Again, if you're a naturalist, you're just like, that is so weird. (laughs) Like that can't happen. A magical blanket? Magical handkerchief? But when you see through God's spirit, and you see that the spiritual has broken in to the natural, where you see that things are starting to be what they ought to always have been before sin came in, and God restores parts of creation just like we see here, where there shouldn't be sick people, there shouldn't be evil. When we get glimpses of that, we see maybe there's more. It doesn't always mean that God will heal it doesn't mean that God will always do the miraculous. Again, we trust the Lord, not just when things are good, but when things aren't good, when he doesn't heal. But we also know that he can. Pastor Todd gave me permission to share this story. Many of you know that his son Carter has been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called PANDAS. And if you ever knew Carter before and you know him now, there's just a difference. It's heartbreaking You see where Carter was and. Carter is, and we're praying for a miracle. And this past week, we, we found out at one of our staff meetings that Carter loves Iron Man. And he told our staff about Iron Man. And our worship leader, Meg Ravis, she recognized that. And so she went on to Amazon and found out that there is an Iron Man blanket that you can wrap around a person. It's like a Snuggie, but Iron Man Snuggie. Some of you people are looking it up to order for yourselves. No judgment here. I don't blame you. Meg ordered it, and I knew she was ordering it because we were talking about it, but I didn't know this part. Last week, when the choir was here in the worship team, before they came out, they meet back here in what we call our green room. Meg put out the Iron Man blanket, had all the choir members and all the worship team pray over it, asking God to do what he did here. You see... We have seen these stories. I'll tell you a story in a little bit where we've seen a miracle. The possibility of Carter being healed is not the power of a blanket. It's a symbol. of The people of God believing that God can do more than we can ever ask or see or do. That the natural yes is here. And matter matters. But it's not all that matters. After this part, we see a story of an evil person it probably isn't evil, but he has an evil spirit in him and trying to pray him out. These people don't pray in the name of Jesus. This guy goes crazy, scares all the people. The people just want to leave, they don't care about their clothes anymore. They're just running out naked. It's so scary. And then someone hears about this region, hears about this crazy story. They're thinking, I know about the natural, but this supernatural stuff, are you kidding me? Could it be real? <laughs> Look what happens, verse 17 through 19. The story of what happened quickly spread through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Here's one of those practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books were seven or several million dollars. Think of this the news of Jesus spreads that the supernatural has infiltrated the natural. And all of a sudden, these people, who are considered spiritual, obviously because many of them practice sorcery, they hear about the name of Jesus, they give up not just that practice, but all other sinful practices because who wants to live for themselves if they can now live for their creator? They give up their lives, they give up this practice, and they follow Jesus. And here's what's so beautiful. They have a big bonfire. They throw these books into the bonfire. And I was thinking about this. When I don't want something in my closet anymore, I bought that thing. So I don't want it to go to waste. So I'll either give it to a friend or someone I know is my size. Or what do we do? We donate it to Goodwill, Salvation Army, other organizations. Because, hey, we bought that do not just throw it away that's hard-earned money but these people discovered jesus he was so worthy so valuable they didn't want anything to do with their past life anymore so they had a bonfire and they burned it a beautiful painting that hangs in the louvre right now by eustace lesure we'll put this on the screen for you He painted it in 1649. It's called the Sermon of St. Paul of Ephesus. And here's Paul proclaiming this. And at the bottom, look at how beautiful that is. Books around a fire. Symbolizing this new found life with Christ. And what verse 20 says sums up what is happening in this picture. It sums up what is happening all throughout Acts. It can sum up what happens in our lives. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. These people who gave up sorcery, burned these books, they were somehow spiritual. They believed in something. It wasn't God and it wasn't Jesus and it wasn't that important. And how do we know that? Because if it was important, they would have held on to those books at least. They gave it up. They didn't believe in truly God. They just believed in, in something. And that describes our culture, doesn't it? Many people would not say they're truly naturalists or all that matters is matter. All we see is what we see. There is some kind of mystery. And so we label ourselves spiritually. You may be spiritual in this room. You may not believe in witches. And you may read it in Harry Potter, but that's about it. Like, you don't really adhere to these things. But, but you know, like, there's not really God, but there's got to be something. And oftentimes, we mask the spiritual talk with getting in touch with ourselves. Mindfulness, which is just listening to ourselves and become better people. That's spiritual life. But you have categories. All that matters is matter. You don't really believe in the supernatural. You just believe, like, I don't know. You still know. That's great. I love people like that. One of those people who was way over here, though, was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He was a naturalist. All that mattered was matter. And then he started to be honest about exploring the claims of Christianity. I hear a lot of people say, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, why? Well, I don't know. Well, the Bible says this. Okay, show me in the Bible where it says it. Well, I don't know where it's at. I just know it's in there. Well, C.S. Lewis is like, I don't believe in this, but I'm gonna look at it. I'm gonna explore it. I'm gonna give it its due. I can't be an honest intellect, an intellectual person, and say this without expression. So he explores it, and then he gradually goes from the naturalist to the supernaturalist. Physical, spiritual, coming together. And in the book of miracles that he wrote, he says this. If naturalism is to be accepted, we have a right to demand that every single thing should be such that we see in general how it could be explained in terms of the total system, the total system of naturalism. This is the key. If any one thing, just one, exists, which is of such a kind that we see in advance the impossibility of ever giving it that kind of explanation, then naturalism would be in ruins. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. You can be a naturalist, but everything has to fit in that category. If one any bitty, bitty thing falls out of that category and you think it maybe can be explained or maybe seen in a different way that is not based on scientific reasoning or based upon our five senses or outside the bounds of... Uh, of evolution or naturalism, one thing falls apart. So, can miracles happen? Can a savior in scripture go alongside of science? That's for you to decide. If you are a naturalist or a skeptic, one thing could lead you into the other category. C.S. Lewis, he explored it, he saw it, and he came to his senses. These, these people burned these books because they finally saw that really this is a possibility, that the miraculous can happen, that but Jesus is real. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it happens all the time, but it's possible. And I'll end with this story. A doctor friend of mine a couple weeks ago had a massive stroke. Found out his life flighted to a hospital. He already had some health complications, and they thought that was going to be it. We were praying, we were praying, we were praying, and we didn't know if he would survive, just such a great man. And about a day or two later, I get a text from someone that says, This doctor not only survived, but he's going home tomorrow. If I fit it in the box here, you can say, Well, yeah, medical explanation. He got the lifelike got there in time, and doctors did this, nurses did. They did. Thank God for that. I'm a medical guy. But the doctors claimed it was a miracle. And I appreciate that. Because what they said is, I got this category here. I can explain things scientifically. This I can't. So you in this room, whether you believe it or not, you'll have this box because everybody has it. But what's happening over here? And if something's happening over here, could it be assigned to you That the God of the creator of the universe is pursuing you, wants a relationship with you, and all you have to do is give your life to him, and he'll allow you to see what maybe you've never been able to see before. Let's pray together.